Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Jenny. I didn't officially close the loop for all of you listeners. So in case you haven't heard, my mom, Kathy Manning, won her race in November. She's the new representative in the U.S. House of Representatives from North Carolina's 6th District. She was sworn in on Sunday, January 3rd. She was in the Capitol on Wednesday, January 6th. To say she had a historic first week feels like a real understatement. Given all that happened, I wanted to bring you her story, so I caught up with her at the end of a very long week. So I'd like to start off by rewinding to Sunday, January 3rd, to talk about your swearing in. I have to say it's the most C-SPAN I've ever watched in my life (laughs) in a row, but you are in DC, you're getting sworn in um, with your fellow new representatives, the freshmen among others. Uh, There was a little bit of a a kerfuffle on the floor because as we continue to be relevant throughout the week, there were members of Congress who did not want everyone to be sworn in because of the states that they thought had election fraud. So let me rewind a little bit further back, if that's okay with you, because Sunday mornings, the way it started off, we went up to my newly painted, newly furnished office where my chief of staff and deputy chief were waiting for me, and I got my new member's pin and my uh, ID and my voting card, and I had already walked one time from my office down through the tunnels to get to the House chamber so I knew how to do it, and we our first vote, Congress, I guess it officially started at noon, and the first vote was to vote for the Speaker, and they had us divided so that we voted in eight different groups because because of COVID, they had set up a situation where they didn't want everybody in the gallery at the same time. They wanted social distancing. They wanted everybody wearing their masks. So you can watch what's going on because we had C-SPAN on it in our office also. And the first thing we had to do was show up and put our voting card in to show that we, we had a quorum there. And then we went back to our offices and waited And the speaker gave her remarks. And then when it was our group's turn, we came in and sat down. And that vote for the speaker, we had to do verbally. So that was the first time I got to stand up and speak. And then I think then was what you referred to as the kerfuffle, where there was a member from the Republican side who made a motion to prevent the members from the states whose election results were being disputed from being seated. In other words, this was a Republican who actually was against the objection process that was going to take place on the 6th. And he wanted those Republicans basically to put their money where their mouths were. In other words, if they were going to object that the elections were not fair, 
then they should object to the entire election in those states and that and those new members of Congress and frankly the other members because everybody had just gotten reelected should not be seated if they were going to claim that the election was fraudulent. But it happened quickly and and not everybody quite understood what was going on and there was quite a bit of excitement and immediately after he made his statement I guess it was a motion then Steny Hoyer the majority leader had a motion against that objection to allow every in other words to allow everybody to be seated so that required if those republicans really believed the election results were were fraudulent then all of the republicans who objected to the elections as fraudulent should have voted no everyone should not be seated but remarkably only two republicans voted against that so it was possible for all members to be sworn in and by that point there was such excitement that most of the members were in the house chamber and so the speaker decided that rather than sending us all back our different ways for people who were in the chamber she would swear us all in at the same time so what did that feel like when you were sworn in it was actually very exciting and probably more moving than i was expecting because before we were sworn in at some point before earlier earlier minority leader kevin mccarthy stood up and gave his speech which i guess is the right of the minority leader to speak before the speaker and rather than get up and make a speech that talked about the importance of working together and a new congress and starting off trying to build in a bipartisan way he gave an appallingly divisive speech and as somebody later said rather than having an outstretched hand he gave us a fist a closed fist and it was even for a new member an appallingly partisan and nasty speech so when he finished speaker pelosi then walked up to the podium and she took the gavel and in a show of strength held it high and sort of waved it around as if to say you can be as nasty as you want but i have the gavel and that was an overwhelming moment to see her in a very gracious way assert the power of the speaker and the power of being in the majority and then when she gave the oath it really made you listen to the words and what we were affirming or swearing to and it made me think about this is a heavy responsibility and we are a fortunate few to be able to be in that chamber swearing to uphold the constitution and swearing to do our duty and represent the people who have sent us there and it was actually more emotional than i was expecting it to be and it was it was pretty wonderful and the proof of that heavy responsibility perhaps evidence of that came maybe quicker than you may have expected fast forward to wednesday i'd love for you to just walk me through your day what what happened that morning and then throughout the day so we were told to expect a very long day we were told that the debate could go well into the night we were told bring our lunch bring our dinner bring a change of clothes if we wanted to but we were also told to arrive early and park 
in the underground garages. And they told us that, that they knew that there would be big crowds there and that they were likely to be unruly. And so they wanted us in the building before the protest started and they did not want us leaving, going outside. You can get to the Capitol by walking outside across the plaza or you can use underground tunnels. And they told us they didn't want anybody walking outside on the plaza. They wanted us to walk back and forth when we were taking our votes through the underground tunnel. So they, they wanted us to be cautious. So I arrived, met my chief of staff, and we drove in together. We arrived before 9 a.m. and went to our office and just started doing work and thinking about you know all the things that I had to do during the day. The debate was gonna start at noon and we were told that they wanted to follow the COVID requirements that the congressional physician had advised. So once again, only a certain number of people were allowed to be on the House floor. But for those of us who wanted to watch the debate, they had a certain number of people who could get time slots throughout the day to watch. I think they were giving us 45 minute time slots. So I requested one of those time slots because as, I, as I've said before, I wanted to be in the room where it happened. And my time slot was started at 1.15 to go sit in the gallery with other members at 1.15. So at about one o'clock, I started walking down the hall of my building and saw two police officers come running and they were shouting at me, evacuate the building, evacuate immediately, take the stairs. So I said, I need to go get my chief of staff because she's by herself. So I ran back and we ran down the stairs with everybody else who was coming out of the building and we ran down the four or five flights of stairs to get to the basement. And then we walked through the garages. They wanted us to go to the one of the other house office buildings. And when we got there, everything was perfectly normal. People were in the cafeteria. People were in their offices working. So we stood around for a while and then I said, well, we checked the emergency emails to make sure everything was okay and everything in the house chamber seemed to be fine. So I said to my chief, all right, I'll make my way over to the chamber and go sit in the gallery and listen to the debate, which is exactly what I did. And they had a list so that they knew who was allowed to be in the gallery at that time. And I was seated on the very far left side of the gallery. And I would say there were maybe 40 other members sort of scattered around the gallery with some of the staff from the speaker's office. And I sat there and we started to, we, we watched. So you're in the gallery, you're watching the debate, you're in the room where it was happening in the room while where, it was happening. Yes. And what did you see? Just a few minutes after I arrived, I saw maybe there were a couple of speeches, but this one was particularly me memorable because one of the members who I have such great admiration for, and if uh, he's actually done a couple of events for me. He he did an event for me when I ran the first time in person, meaning he showed up and did a beautiful speech. And then he did a Zoom event with me this time around. And he is a brilliant constitutional scholar. Uh, his name is Jamie Raskin. And strangely enough, my great grandmother's maiden name was Raskin. And so my family is convinced that we're related. And just before New Year's, Jamie Raskin's 25-year-old son died. And um, that is, of course, the worst thing any parent can experience. And it was something that was so deeply felt by all of his colleagues. 
And he, uh, before I went into the chamber that morning, I read a piece that he and his wife had published about his son that was just the most remarkable thing I'd ever read. But Jamie was there because he was one of the members and one of the scholars who had researched the issues. And he thought that, that this was such an important day in getting through the process of certifying the votes of the Electoral College was so important to our democracy and to the country that he put his grief aside only a few days after losing his son and came to make his speech. And when he stood up, he started by thanking all the members of the House, all of his colleagues, for their love and tenderness in this very difficult period. And then he gave his remarks. And when he was done, everyone leapt to their feet and applauded all the members on both sides of the aisle. And he put his hand to his heart and bowed to everyone. And it was the most remarkable thing because it was this great moment of unity, this moment that everyone in that hall, Republican, Democrat, conservative, far right, far left, all genders, colors, no matter who you were, you could understand the pain that he had experienced. And it was what you want in our House of Representatives. You want this shared humanity. And it was followed shortly after that by a speech from a new member incensed that this election had gone the wrong way without acknowledging this member railing against the election, but not acknowledging that the, that was the very election that gave this member the seat that this member was occupying. And it was just like going from the sublime to the ridiculous in within a few minutes. And so I, I'm thinking about this and, and how extraordinary this is. And all of a the sudden, there's all this commotion on the House floor. And I looked down and what I could see, I couldn't see the speaker from where I was seeing, but I saw the Capitol Police rushing Steny Hoyer, who's the majority leader, out of the House. And then I heard the Capitol Police shouting that the Capitol had been breached. Everyone should take their seats. They were securing the doors to the chamber. And we saw them uh, walking around, locking all of the doors. And up in the gallery, there are lots and lots of doors, double doors. And the police were running from door to door, locking them. And then the police said, you need to take out your gas masks. There's a case with a gas mask under each seat and you need to take it out and open them up because there's been tear gas released in the rotunda. And we were just a short distance, I think, from the rotunda. But there was lots of confusion because we didn't know if we should put the masks on. We hadn't been told how to open them. We didn't know which was the outer package, what which package would actually activate the gas mask. So you heard this hum across the room as the gas masks were being activated and you, they hum a little bit when the air is released. And then one of the policemen shouted that when we put them on, be sure to breathe normally because we don't want you to hyperventilate. And so we were up in the gallery, we were helping each other figure out how to open them. And there was this very small opening to stick your head in it. And um, 
it looked like it would be a little claustrophobic. So I decided I was going to wait until we were clearly instructed to put those gas masks on. And we sat there quietly. And I don't know how long we were sitting there, but the member in front of mine, uh, in front of me, with whom I become friendly, pulled up a picture on her on her phone that the press had released of what was going on outside. So that was the first time I saw the crowd outside and just a little bit of what must have been going on. And then there was just silence and we just sat there. And then downstairs, we heard the, the police tell everybody on the house floor they were gonna open the doors and everyone on the floor needed to exit as quickly as possible out the far exit. So we watched as they all exited and then they locked the doors and then it was just us in the gallery. And we heard more pounding on the doors behind us. Actually, the police officer behind me at one point opened the first door. And I thought to myself, are you supposed to do that when they're pounding on the doors? How does she know who's out there? And, and then she closed the door back and we sat and they were shouting at each other to try to figure out what, what was going on outside and whether they could take us out. And then they told us to prepare to take cover. And in the gallery, the chairs are, are stadium seating. So the only place you could actually take cover is right behind the front row where there's sort of the knee wall of the gallery. And I noticed that the back of it seemed to be faced with marble. So it might be the place you wanted to be. But in the other rows, there was no place to hide behind the chairs because the, the floor behind the chair came right to the back of the chair. So we waited and then they said, okay, we need all of you to move as quickly as possible all the way to the other side of the gallery. And we're gonna wait till we can exit outside that door. And what happened then was, was wonderful because everybody was calm. There were certain people who were helping others because some of the members were older. One of the members had just had a knee replacement and we had to duck down under the hand railings. The different sections were separated by hand railings and there was debris all over the floor because everything from the gas mask packages were all over the floor. So people were being very careful. People were helping other people. We got all around to the other side of the gallery floor. And then the, one of the officers said, we need everybody to get down flat on the floor. You need to take cover. So we got down flat on the floor and I could see that the officer that, that was at the door closest to me had his gun drawn. And I looked around and they all had their guns drawn and they were look, watching the doors on the floor behind them, below us. And then they said, we need you all to take off your member pins. We, we don't want you wearing your member pins because we don't want them to be able to identify who are the members. And that was the point where I felt my heart started racing and I hadn't been nervous up until that point, but that made me think about what could actually happen if whoever these unhinged people were broke through the doors and found us. Then we just stayed crouched down on the floor behind that knee wall for what seemed like ages. It was probably 15 or 20 minutes and we were just silent. Then they said, we're gonna open this door and take everybody out this door and we need you to get down the stairs as quickly as possible. We want you to rush down the, the four flights of stairs and get to the basement as quickly as possible. So they opened up the doors and we all quickly, but in, order, in an orderly fashion, 
got out of the house chamber and started moving quickly down the marble staircases. And I looked to one side and I could see that there were people flat on the floor. I didn't know who they were, I didn't take the time to see what was actually going on because I wanted to be careful not to trip as I was running down the stairs. And when we made it, there was actually a young woman who was a staffer who I could tell was getting really emotional. And I grabbed her arm and said, are you okay? And she said, I'm fine. It's just all the tension and the emotion building up. It's just releasing now. And we all got down to the basement level. And then it was quite a long walk. And we didn't know quite where to go when we got there, but they then told us what room they wanted us to go to. And some people took the stairs and I followed an older member. There was an elevator bank and they said, come this way. And I kept thinking, I don't think you're supposed to take elevators in times of emergency, but the doors opened up and I walked into the elevator with this older member. And it was just the two of us and there were these young staffers standing outside waiting because it's a members only elevator. And I said, get in here with us. And they came in the elevator and then we went up and we walked around to the room that they had designated as the secure room. It was one of the hearing rooms. And there were many, many police officers outside and they wanted us all to go in the room. And everybody who had been evacuated from the house chamber was in the same room together. And there we waited. We were there, I would say, four or five hours. And people were chatting with each other. I actually sat down and wrote out on my phone what had just happened because I wanted to write it down before I forgot about it. And I think, thinking back on it, I think it was a way for me to process what we had just been through. And then I realized that my phone was, I was running out of power and I was getting texts. I probably had, I think, 180 texts from people who were checking on me. And I decided... I texted my husband and said, tell everybody I'm fine because I didn't want to respond. I didn't want to use up my power by responding to people. You said everyone was in, how big was this hearing room? I mean, also we're still in a pandemic. Did it feel, were you nervous about that at all? Or had that just not, was, did that not register? By this point, I I'm sorry to say that the pandemic was not top of mind (laughs) and we had all of the Democrats had their masks on. We did have a lot of us in this room together. It's a, it, is, it is quite a large room. It's probably the largest room in that building and that's why they put us there. They did bring in some water. They brought in some snacks. At one point, some lovely young woman had a whole case of Skittles that she passed out to everybody. Uh, we'd been, Cause we'd been there for hours. There were some Republicans sitting in, on a diff, in one of the corners who had their masks off. You know, I was focusing on writing down what I had happened and making sure my family knew I was okay. Did you feel like you had a chance to process what was going on? Like, did you, were you looking at pictures or videos of the outside to see? No, because I, I had almost no power left in my personal cell phone. I did have my house, my official phone with me, but I hadn't loaded anything onto it. So I didn't have, I didn't have any of my contacts on there. I didn't have any of the newspaper feeds that I usually read. Everything was still on my personal phone. So, and, you know, I think I really probably didn't want to see what was going on outside. I had no idea how bad it was. And then, you know, the time passed. And then Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer came in 
and they each gave really beautiful speeches talking about what had happened, what was going on, how this was an assault on our democracy, and it was an attempt to prevent us from doing our constitutional duty and an attempt to, to derail the peaceful transfer of power that has been one of the strengths of this country. And so um, Nancy Pelosi said, as soon as they were able to secure the Capitol, and that was the first time I realized they still hadn't secured the Capitol, that as soon as they were able to secure the Capitol and clear out the House chamber, we would return to the House and continue to do our constitutional duty to certify the votes of the Electoral College. Actually, the one comical thing of the day, the doors opened and people came in carrying boxes of pizza, Domino's pizza. I think it was Domino's. There must have been 40 boxes of pizza. And several of us started laughing that it, it wasn't safe enough for us to leave the secure room, but it was safe enough for the pizza guys to come into the building. But it was it was well past dinner time at this point. So people had pizza. And when they told us that the building had been secured and we could either go to the house floor or return to our offices, I I went back to my office and my chief of staff. I guess I must have texted her, and she was she was there. And I turned back on uh, C-SPAN to watch when it was appropriate to for me to return to the House floor to to vote, because even though we had just been in this room with all these other people, they wanted us to go back to observing the COVID regulations. And so I went back to my office, and then the debate resumed. There was a lot of tension. Uh, I saw some disagreements when I was walking back to the House chamber to to make one of my votes. There was a, an argument because one of the Republicans was, was talking on it loudly on a phone and not wearing his mask. And one of the Democrats was walking in the other direction and just yelled at him to put his mask on and he yelled back at her and you could tell the tensions were high. And when I got to the House floor, I cast my vote and um, waited. I think there were two votes in a row. And I, re I think I returned to my office to wait for the final vote. And there were, there were more debates going on after that. You said that tensions were high. Was there also a sense of camaraderie? Were you excited that you could continue? I mean, where was your mind at at that point? You know, it was a very bizarre experience. And when Speaker Pelosi made that speech, it put everything into perspective. We were there to do something that was important. It was historic. It was the reason I had been sent to Congress to represent my district. And we had a job to do for the American people. Other than that, I was surprised as some of the, some of the speeches continued that there were Republicans that got up and made what I thought were just ridiculous speeches and had no recognition of the fact that by denying the fairness of the election and continuing to dispute the election results, they were inciting the people who had just stormed the Capitol. They were continuing to feed this fantasy that the election results were wrong. They were 
they were stoking the flames that led these unhinged people to come to Washington to protect the man who, who they think was unjustly denied a second term. And I think what they were doing was very damaging. And so did others on the floor. There, were, there was almost a fist fight at one point. That got a little crazy. But then there were some extraordinary speeches. There were three women, I believe there were three women from Pennsylvania. I think Chrissy Houlihan was one and she gave just a remarkable speech. And Madeleine Dean was another and she gave a beautiful speech. And another member, Scanlon, I think, who also gave a beautiful speech. And watching those three women from Pennsylvania talk about how the election in their state was fair and why and what actually happened and what this whole experience meant, they were really inspiring in their remarks and made me proud to be one of the women in the House and one of the Democrats in the House. I do want to say that there were several Republicans who stood up and gave wonderful speeches against what the other Republicans were trying to do. And I want to give them credit because there were some Republicans who did make those courageous speeches. And they were particularly courageous because there were so many Republicans who were furious that their colleagues were making the speech, these speeches and siding with the Democrats. So eventually, around close to four in the morning, the election was certified. That is correct. And you got to go back to your DC apartment? Actually, it was, it was kind of interesting. I was waiting and waiting for our last vote. And the last vote came sometime, I think after 3 a.m. And my chief of staff was still there with me. And, and she said, I will meet you downstairs in the basement before you go do your vote. We'll, we'll take, I'll, I'll have all your, all your things with you because I was gonna drive her home. And she said, do your vote, I'll meet you. And then we can leave because this is gonna be the last vote. So walking down the hall of my office building, taking the elevator down, then walking through the tunnel, I was the only person walking down that hall. I was the only person in the elevator. I was the only person for part of the walk through the tunnel. And it was a little bit eerie and very quiet. And then I started to see the members who had just voted coming toward me. But it was, it was interesting how solitary it was walking down that hall to register my last vote. So then, I mean, that seems like enough action for more than enough action for your fourth day. And that wasn't even the end. Then there's talk about another impeachment. There's talk about the 25th Amendment. I mean, not to mention the fact that the results came out that day that the Democrats have the Senate. So what do you think happens now? So the, the next day, I didn't, I actually couldn't, my chief of staff kept saying, you know, sleep late. Well, I couldn't sleep late. And my um, deputy chief had arranged, I think we probably did six Zoom interviews with our local news stations. And so I got to tell the story of what happened over and over and over. But it was, I mean, it's a pretty interesting day to be able to talk about. And then we, um, we had a lot of calls because 
we the Democrats as a caucus have to decide what to do. Several of the different caucuses that I'm involved in had discussions about what, what we want to do. One of my committees had an emergency meeting to decide what things we ought to be doing. And so we got right to work. And there were there was a very, very long call to, to discuss what steps ought to be taken. And I feel strongly that the president needs to be held accountable for what happened. We now know five people died as a result of that insurrection. The speaker's office was trashed. And there are photographs of one of the marauders sitting with his feet up on her desk. Her staff, we found, was locked away in a room, terrified of what would happen if they found her. There were other offices that were breached and official computers or laptops were taken. What happened was an assault on our democracy. And there needs to be accountability. There needs to be accountability from the president. I believe Rudy Giuliani holds some responsibility. I just a few minutes ago saw videos of some of the president's children and their significant others calling for people to fight. There are many people who uh, riled up the crowd and they should be held accountable. The other thing that needs to happen, and we talked about this at great length, there needs to be a thorough investigation of, of how this was allowed to happen, how the security breaches happened. And the fact that these mobs were able to get into the Capitol so easily is just appalling. And we're just lucky that more people weren't hurt. And so there needs to be a thorough investigation of why was there not sufficient planning? Why did it take so long for help to arrive? Why wasn't the National Guard sent in quickly? There was confusion about who had the authority to send the National Guard. I read today that the Pentagon didn't feel that it had authority to send in help. And I, I read one article that Senator Warren had had a conversation with somebody at the FBI in advance to make sure that there was a plan in place. And he was advised that there was a plan in place, everything was under control. And then when asked what happened, I understand that the response from the FBI was, well, we were there in 50 minutes after being called, 5-0. Imagine if your house was being broken into and it took the police almost an hour to get there. Imagine if you were having a heart attack and you called an ambulance and it took them almost an hour to get there. The FBI is right down the street. How could it possibly have taken 50 minutes for them to get there? So clearly there was a massive breakdown and a massive failure in the way this this whole incident was handled. Well, I have to say that on Tuesday night, the night before all of this went down, there was a celebratory Zoom in honor of your swearing in. And there were a number of congressional leaders on there, which was very cool for as a fangirl. I was, it was awesome. And uh, Speaker Pelosi was on and, and gave sort of a thanks to your family in a way that I felt was sort of a nice gesture. I didn't quite realize when she said that it can be tough having you there, that I was going to be realizing the danger quite so quickly thereafter. So it was a very harrowing day and week, and I am just glad that you're okay. 
the one moment that I got emotional, and I hope I can talk about this. So as you know, I, I, as I mentioned, I wrote up what happened because I wanted, I really wanted down, I would say on paper, but on my cell phone. And um, as different people checked on me yesterday, today, I, I forwarded them what I had written. And today I got a text from two of my favorite people. They are extraordinary North Carolinians, uh, Shirley and Henry Fry. And um, I know you know them, but um, Henry Fry was the first African-American chief justice of our North Carolina Supreme Court. And he is quite an extraordinary man. And I, I hope uh, he won't mind me telling this story, but Shirley texted me to say she hopes I'm safe and they're, you know, they, they love me and they're thinking about me. And I texted back and said, I'm fine. I wrote up what happened and I'm attaching it so you can read it. And she texted back a little bit later and she said, well, we were reading it together and Henry started to cry and we had to stop reading. And, um, and then she said, we love you. After you forwarded your experience to the family, it was particularly emotional for me when all three of, uh, of your children, of us, responded saying how proud we are of you. And I think that I've gotten a lot of texts from a lot and Facebook messages and emails from people in every part of my life telling me how glad they are that you're there representing them. So big week. <laughs> Here's to hoping that next week is maybe a little less historic, but with everything that's on the table, it seems like it, the trend may continue. <laughs> you know, it's good. It's good to feel like you're doing important work. And, um, this, this week I felt like I was doing important work and I, I look forward. There's so many more things that we we should be doing in Congress because, because we have to remember we are in the midst of a pandemic. And as, I, as we were driving home, I read the report from our governor, our wonderful governor, Governor Cooper, and, um, and our local hospital system on how many more uh, people have become infected with COVID and how the hospitals are at a breaking point. And we're hearing in California they're not giving oxygen to people in, in ambulances unless it's absolutely necessary. So while all of this um, foolishness is going on, it's taking our time and attention away from the, the disaster that this country is in because, because of this pandemic. But also, and I'm gonna say in, in significant part because this president failed to take the pandemic seriously, failed to lead our country in any meaningful way, has denigrated the refusal to wear masks, which we know help prevent the spread. The refusal is the, res the direct result of Donald Trump deriding people who wear masks. And one of the members who was supposed to be sworn in with me, a, a young, young man from Louisiana, died three days before the swearing in from COVID. And there sure wasn't a lot of discussion about that uh, when I was there. And yet, and it didn't even change the approach to mask wearing from some of my Republican colleagues.
So we have a lot of work to do to help the people of this country through this pandemic and to help them with recovery efforts. And I'm really hoping that we can get past, we can both hold the president accountable, determine why we had this massive failure in protection, and at the same time, move forward on getting control of this virus, getting relief to people, and, and rebuilding the economy back in a, in a better, stronger, and more equitable way. I couldn't be prouder to call Kathy Manning my mom and one of our nation's leaders. On a day when I felt pretty incapable of doing anything other than watching news coverage, she and our other leaders determinedly did their constitutional duty to certify the election, ensuring that our democratic processes were not undermined by a violent horde of thugs. The work continues. As we find out more, I'll bring you more special episodes like this one. In a couple weeks, we'll also be launching a special mini-series on this feed called Women Belong in the White House, documenting VP-elect Kamala Harris's path to her new role and talking about the importance of building a pipeline to expand women's representation in elected leadership. Stay safe. Talk to you soon.